For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, <clears throat> the Prince of Peace. This is a prophecy of the prophet Jeremiah. It's written about 700 years before the birth of Christ. It is a messianic prophecy, right? It is speaking directly of, of Christ. And I know in past messages over the years, I've, I've done an exposition on that verse as to the titles of Christ. You see wonderful, you see counselor, the spirit of wisdom, right? But the one, the two that really stick out to me is mighty God, everlasting Father, the Father of eternity, right? We talked about earlier how God became flesh and, and he dwelt among us. So tonight, what is the purpose of tonight? What is the purpose of December 25th? We know that's not the birthday of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? We know that. Well, what is the purpose? The purpose is to exalt. The purpose is to declare. The purpose is to realize that at that precise moment in history, as the Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son. He sent them for a born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. And this is one of three critical events in the history of creation, right? The birth of Jesus Christ, that Friday when he went upon the cross and he took upon himself the penalty of the sin for all who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and that Sunday when he rose again from the grave and he was seen by 500 people, right? Three critical events. Now I'm going to tell you something. Two more critical events are, are going to occur. And they're right around the corner, right? One, when Jesus will come for his church, when he will come and snatch up his church, when he will take his church, the body of believers, believers, those that are born again, saved, sealed by the Holy Ghost, what a glorious day that's going to be. He's going to come and take his church. And then he's going to come back to come on the earth, to plant his feet on the earth. And he's not coming back with any kind of humbleness that he did the first time. No, he's coming back as king of kings, lord of lords. He's coming back to judge. Coming back to judge. And he will <clears throat> judge the world in righteousness. So there's two other great, great events that are going to occur in the history of the world, and they're both centered in on Jesus Christ, right? For the believer in Christ, listen, for the believer in Christ, these truths supersede anything that the world offers us. All the lies, all the superficiality, all the materialism, all the consumerism, all of the myths. I'll share this. I'll throw this in for free. Uh, Barbara and I went the other day to one of the amusement parks. And uh, we had gone previously, and they had a nativity show. 
whatever you want to call it. And it was all right the last time we saw it, but this time we went. And it was <clears throat> nothing, nothing short of blasphemy. It was beyond blasphemous. It moved me to the point that I sat there and I cried literal tears because I said, what have they done with my Jesus? The way it was so flippantly presented, right? And callously presented. And it is the fundamental truth that God became a man and dwelt among us that in my heart and in the heart of everyone who's a believer, it's that fundamental truth that is our guiding point. It is our true North Star. If we're lost, we go back and we see Christ, right? And so it is these truths that guide us. It's these truths that have guided the church. <clears throat> Ricky, would you mind getting me some water, brother? <clears throat> it is these truths that have guided the church for millenniums. And for millenniums, the birth of Christ was celebrated with worship, with songs, with praises, with the proclamation of the gospel. But over the past 200 years, we have seen a mass erosion of that. And it has become full of myth, full of consumerism. And the last thing you, you hear is about Christ. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. So over the years, I've, I've thought about this. What do, I, what do I speak about? I said over the years, I've, 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 told the, the, I've spoken of the prophecies of Jesus Christ. I've talked about the birth of Jesus Christ. We've went through the birth of Jesus Christ and compared it to what is being told today, and we kind of shuttered all the rules, all the things that were being on there. But I thought to myself, what could we do tonight? I want to honor the Lord Jesus Christ tonight. And I thought a good way to do that, a significant way to honor his birth, is to declare our faith in Christ tonight. Right? So if you're saved, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to affirm these truths with me. Let's make a declaration tonight. Let's make a declaration. If you have this handout, I'd like you to, it'll be important because <clears throat> this is going to be a participatory type of message that we're going to do tonight. Now, we will confess ten fundamental truths, and it's all because God became a man, that Christ came and he died. So we're going to confess 10 fundamental truths. They come from our Calvary confession, okay? But we are going to confess the triune God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, salvation, the Word of God, and a few other things, including the coming of Christ. And how is this going to work? Well, it's going to work like this, right? I'm going to say Article 1, and then in unison, we are going to say Article 1, and then I'm just going to expound upon that article and we're going to go through it. Now, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? I'm doing this for several reasons. Number one, how great is it to make a declaration to the Lord? 
Ironically, it's at this time of year where people are very silent about the Lord, right? So how great is it to make a declaration to the Lord? That's number one. Number two, it's critical that we understand what we believe and in whom we believe, right? So it's critical. So as we make these confessions, it's my prayer that the Lord will seal these confessions in our heart, cause us to contemplate over the next 48 hours, why are we doing what we're doing? And to be able to confess Christ, not only before Him, but to others. So you all with me with that? Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Praise God. Let's look at the very, very first one, okay? Article number one. And we could all say it, article number one. Ready? We believe in God the Father, Jesus Christ, His Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? We firmly believe in the mighty three-in-one and the one-in-three. God the Father the eternal Son, Jesus Christ, and the person of the Holy Spirit. And our faith is not in any ideology of this world. It's not based on any ideology of this world. It is based on the fundamental biblical truth, the revelation that is given to us, and that revelation speaks of that triune God. God the Father... God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and they complete the Godhead. They are all co-equal, co-eternal, co-omnipotent together. When we say we believe, by the way, we're not referring merely to a set of facts that we agree about the truths, right? It's not that I accept certain facts. When we talk about belief in the Bible, and when the Bible speaks about belief, it means you entrust yourself completely and wholly to. So when a person says, I believe in God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it is we entrust ourselves. That is the bedrock. That is the anchor of every believer. Take that away, as many other religions do. They'll take away, take away one or two of those co-equal persons and you take away the whole bedrock of salvation. It's gone. And what you will always see is it doesn't end there because they're going to take away and they're going to erode more and more and more. So when we talk about belief, we put our complete faith and trust in this triune God. And this triune God came down to earth and he's given us through faith a very gift of himself, of his grace and mercy. And we rely on the completed work of Jesus Christ, sacrifice on the cross for our redemption. That's what it means when we say we believe in God the Father, the eternal Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the second one, article number two. Shout it out. Don't be ashamed. We believe in Jesus Christ, the eternal Son, born of the Virgin Mary, Son of God, 
and Son of Man. Jesus Christ being fully, fully God and being fully, fully man. He is one in nature with the eternal Father and the eternal Spirit. He is the second person of the triune God. He is the eternal Son. Can I make a statement about that, right? Jesus did not become the Son of God when Jesus came down to earth to be born of Mary. Jesus was eternally the Son of God. He was there in the very beginning when God said, let us make man in our image. And we see the plurality of God right at the very beginning of creation. In Genesis 3.22, God turns and he says, now man has become like one of us. And we know for sure he's not speaking to angels because man is not created in the image of angels. And we know he's not... speaking to animals because man, contrary to what the world says, was not created by animals. Who is he speaking to? It is this triunity of the singular one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we believe in Jesus, the eternal Son, born, physically born of the Virgin Mary. He was fully the Son of God. But you know what Jesus' favorite title for himself was? The Son of Man. The Son of Man. This Jesus is the creator, life giver, sustainer of the universe. His life on earth perfectly pleased God the Father. And his righteousness is given to all who put their faith and trust in him. He's the prophesied glory of Israel. He is Messiah. His throne is forever. He is the Son of God and the Son of Man. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the Word made flesh, who was in the beginning with the Father and was with God. And the Word was God. He is, as the writer of Hebrews says, the radiance, of his, the radiance of his image and the exact representation of his nature. He is the one with the Father. He's the one of whom the Apostle John wrote, right? That the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of God, full of grace in truth. So we believe in this Jesus Christ. On on this holiday, as we celebrate, what do we celebrate? We celebrate Jesus Christ and his coming down to earth. Article number three. We believe in Jesus Christ is the only acceptable sacrifice for sin that pleases God. Now there's a purpose for Christ's coming. What was the purpose for Christ's coming? It was Jesus Christ, whose death under divine judgment paid the penalty for people's sin, and he paid it in full. He paid it in full, providing all who put their faith and trust in him forgiveness and eternal life. Boy, don't ever lose that. That could never be a stale theological fact. Christ came 
to give his life a ransom for the many. And there is not, and I want to emphasize this again, there is not, there is no other way. There is no other person. There are not multiple paths to heaven. If there was, Christ's death, which is a historic fact, would have been completely, completely in vain. Completely in vain. As a matter of fact, so astonishing was this Christ that he died, he was buried, and he was raised physically from the dead. Physically, not a spirit. He was raised physically from the dead. And so amazing was that that the scriptures record over 500 people saw him at the time of the writing of that scripture. And many were alive. When he appeared to his disciples and they thought they were seeing a ghost, what, what, what did he say? Hey, come over here. Touch me. Feel me. A ghost, the spirit doesn't have flesh and bone like I have. Now, I'm going to share something else with you. If by chance we were able to be transported into the heavens at this very moment, if, if, if God did a miraculous work at this moment and all of us went up to heaven and we saw the throne of God, we could not describe in our finite minds the angelic beings that are going back and forth, the seraphim and the cherubim flying back and forth, and the multitude of other angelic beings that are there. And if we looked at the throne of God, we could not describe God. Why? Because God is spirit. So how does, how does the mortal are, is able to articulate that which is immortal? So the throne of God, whatever that looks like, we couldn't describe it. And, and if the Holy Spirit were there, we would not be able to describe that too. But there would be one very familiar thing that we would see. And we would see the man, Jesus Christ, sitting at the right hand of the Father in human form. Why? Because he physically rose from the dead. And we would be able to look and we would be able to recognize and we would be able to say, that's Jesus, my Savior, my Savior. You know, when believers are, when we rise from the dead, when the believer, how are we rising? Why, why, why if we die, we go in the presence of the Lord, but then one day's coming when the grave's going to erupt, they're going to explode all over the place. Christians going to come out, out of the ground, right? And they're going to be given what? A glorified body. A glorified body. A physical body. We're going to have a physical body. We're going to have a body like Jesus. And I'm waiting for that day. You know I'm waiting for that day. Because I'm going to have a lot of hair. I'm going to have a lot of hair, man. I'm going to have curly Jesus hair coming down. And I'm never getting it cut. Praise God. Praise God. And this Christ, although he knew no sin, he became sin for all. Right? As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And God demonstrated, as I said earlier, his acceptance of Christ's 
sacrifice by raising him from the dead. By raising him from the dead. So that we as mortal beings, mortal sinful beings, we as human beings can enjoy the presence of God. Not merely here on earth, but forever. Forever. Look at article number four. We believe in the Holy Spirit as the third person of the triune God. The Holy Spirit, fully divine and one with the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit physically indwells all who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Physically indwells. Physically indwells. When you are saved, you are sealed with the Spirit. Paul says, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. He lives in the believer. In the believer. You know what the great thing? When Christ comes back for his church, how is he going to get his church? How is the Spirit of God? The Bible tells us in 2 Thessalonians that he who restrains the mystery of iniquity will continue to do so until the day of Jesus Christ. Well, who restrains sin on earth? It's the Holy Spirit. He doesn't stop sin. It's He prevents sin from being as vile as it can be. Which is one of the reasons that when Christ comes back for the church and He takes the church out, the restrainer is taken out, and what happens? Hell on earth. Because there's no more restraint. Think of how bad it is. Just look at today. And today we're seeing the world falling apart little by little, right? And, and, and now it just seems like it's forever in your face. Could you imagine when the presence of believers and the Holy Spirit in whom they dwell is gone from earth? You're literally going to have hell on earth, which is why they're called the years of tribulation. The Holy Spirit, He is the Spirit of God. He is the Comforter. He is the Helper. And he is the promise of the Father that Jesus spoke to his disciples. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. Why do you think that people hate Christians so much? Why do you think that Christians are the number one persecuted people group in the world today? Why? Because the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. And they hate Christ. And they hate the gospel. And they hate the heralders of the gospel. Right? The Holy Spirit, He empowers believers, praise God. He empowers them with spiritual gifts. He sanctifies them in truth, convicts them of sin, illuminates spiritual truth, and causes believers to become like Christ. He leads them in truth so that believers glorify God. Praise God. Look at article number five. You're doing good. You're still awake. It's Praise God. Article number five. We believe in the universal church of God, of Christ. The universal church of Christ is comprised solely. Let me say that again. The universal church of Jesus Christ is comprised solely 
of those who have been redeemed by the work of Christ and whose head of that church is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Christ so loved the church that he died for the church. We hear a lot about, we tell everybody, well, Christ loves you, Christ loves you, Christ loves you. We, we hear it, we, wanna, we want the sinners to know Christ loves you, Christ loves you. But you know who Christ loved? Christ loved the church. And he loved the church so much that he died for the church. That's why the Apostle Paul in Ephesians tells husband, you're to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for the church. And let me share something. There is no pope, there is no bishop, there is no pastor, there is no reverend, there is no rabbi, there is no imam, there is no one who is head of the church of Jesus Christ. None but the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And the church's mission, what is it? The church's mission is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ by declaring the story of Christ, by declaring the gospel of Christ, by declaring that there's no other way for anybody to be saved except and apart through Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, as we talked about earlier, Christ will indeed come to gather his church again. And I'm waiting for that day. And I say right now, Maranatha, Lord, Je Lord Jesus, come even now, Lord Jesus. Look at article number six. We believe in the Holy Scriptures, the 66 canonical books, as divinely inspired word of God. Let me explain that a little bit. The word of God is the only authoritative truth and final authority for our faith. Period. Period. We had a historic week this week, right? The, the guy in Rome, right, made a declaration. Hey, it's okay. We're going we're gonna to undo what God said is not right. Right? No one has that authority to change the word of God. The word of God has been given, given to us in the 66 books. And let me tell you about the Word of God. We believe that the verbal, the Word of God is verbal, plenary, inspired. That simply means that the Word of God, that the Scriptures are God-breathed. Theopneustos, God-breathed. God breathed these words, and He breathed these words through human agents, 40 different human agents over 1,500 years to provide the cohesion to the entire 66 books that are in the Bible. We believe that the Bible is inerrant. What does that mean? It's inerrant regarding matters of history, science, or salvation, despite what the world may say. We believe that the Word of God is infallible in its ultimate purpose. It will always accomplish its ultimate purpose in revealing God and the way of salvation to mankind. You don't have to listen to anybody else, especially all the false prophets that are running around there these days. We believe that the complete revelation in the 66 books of the Bible is the full revelation of God's written word. What does that mean? Why is that important? No one has the authority to add to or to subtract from the very Word of God, from those 66 books. 
And we believe that any other extra revelation not contained in the 66 books, well, we believe that they're not from God and we reject them as false teaching. You know, it's a pretty amazing thing is that a lot of the apostate faiths really started to, well, they, they go back really to the beginning. It goes back to the Judaizers and the ascetics and all the others. But one of the things is, if you notice around the 1800s, that's when things begin to shift. And you have people coming out denying the, the deity of Jesus Christ, and you have people coming out saying that Christ is the brother of Satan, and you have all these other different things coming out, right? And every one of them takes away or adds. Oh, it's good that you have the Bible, but you need this book too. And the truth of the matter is, you don't need that book. Any extra revelation. And by the way, we need to be very smart too. Because extra revelation are some of these false prophets that go around and say, God told me to tell you, God told me that Jesus is coming next Thursday, meet him at Starbucks. God told me, God told me, God told me. Listen, if God speaks to your heart, which I believe he still does, if God speaks to your heart, you know how you know it's the word of God? Because it will be confirmed by the very word of God. That's how. That's how. Look at article number seven. We believe in the resurrection of the dead. So we believe, as the scripture says, it is appointed unto all men to die once and then the judgment. Right? And... Then the resurrection of the dead. As Christ physically rose from the dead, so shall believers physically rise from the dead. And they'll rise unto eternity. Do you know what? Do you know that unbelievers are going to rise from the dead too? Unto eternity? Did you know that? And they're all going to come before the throne of God. And those who have repented of their sins and have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, those who have done that, who are the born again, who are the redeemed of God, guess what? Because Christ's righteousness is charged to their account, they will go on to spend eternity with God and Christ and the saints of old in paradise. Those who have rejected Jesus Christ. They will also stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. But they're going to be judged by their works. And we know that all of our righteousness is filthy rags before God. We know that Romans 3.9 tells us there are none righteous, no, not one. All have turned astray. All have become worthless. So they're going to be judged by their works. And their works are going to fall short. And they will go on to eternity. Eternity in the lake of fire. Eternity, separation from God. Eternity with Satan and his angels. Now I want to say something about that. I do not say that lightly. Those words break my heart. My heart is that no one should perish. 
I wish the whole world would hear the gospel and the entire world would repent, fall on their face, and be saved. I really do. But it's not going to happen. Because the ones who reject Christ reject life. That's all there is to it. Which is why God puts a burden upon the believer to share the gospel. This time of year, this time of year, is the opportune time to make a statement for the glory of Christ's name. And you're going to make that statement, and some people are going to go, how nice. And you're going to make that statement, and the religious bone in someone's going to go, oh, isn't that wonderful? And you'll make that statement, and someone will say, why do you have to bring religion into this all the time? I wish you wouldn't say anything. God never tells us we get the results right then and there. Hey, speak the word. They're all going to repent. I've been preaching for a long time now, and I know that. Okay? But he tells us, declare the word. Declare the word. And so the dead are going to rise. The Bible tells us that the sea is going to give up the dead. The earth is going to give up the dead. All those whose bodies have been laying in the dust for years that have disintegrated will particleize again and stand in form before God. So we believe in the resurrection of the dead. It's the resurrection of the dead that compels us to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Article number eight. Come on, say it loud. We believe in the future return of Jesus Christ to rapture his church and establish his kingdom. Praise God for article number eight. Thank you. Christ is, and you could bank on this, Christ is coming again. But this time, he's not going to be that babe in a manger. Not going to happen. Christ is coming to snatch up his church to unleash judgment on the wicked and establish his millennial reign on earth. We believe in the literal future judgment of all people. Paul tells us, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. With the righteous going on to live in the presence of God and the unjust going into eternal separation with God. And we believe, we believe that God will create a new heaven and a new earth. A new heaven and a new earth. And God will do away with, once and for all, evil, sin. There will be no sin. It will be perfect. Do you know some words you'll never hear in heaven? Here's a few phrases you'll never hear in heaven. I'm sorry. And you're not going to hear in heaven, I, I, I didn't mean that. And you're not going to say, you're not going to hear in heaven, oh, please forgive me, I offended you. You're not going to hear these words. Why? Because it will be righteousness, perfected, glorious, holy, right. Do you know when we go to church in heaven, you're not going to have to rush to the exit and muscle some way past somebody else? Because when we go to church in heaven, you're just going to go, go ahead, my brother. Go ahead, my sister, have a seat. Come get the best seat over here. Yeah, sit down right there. Jesus is speaking tonight. He's right there. Perfection. You know what this new heaven and new earth will be? 
Where did, where did creation start? Started in the garden. And everything God made, the biblical account says, was very good. And when God created Adam, Adam had to be the finest human specimen ever to set foot on the planet. I mean, physically perfect, physically attractive, probably had the best head of hair I've ever seen. <laughs> Knew all things, walked with... How do we know? How do we know? Because he was created in the image of God. And when, when God created Eve... She probably was the most beautiful woman to ever set foot on the earth. Again, created in perfection. And they walk and they commune with God in the coolness of the garden. They had complete fellowship with one another and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They even communed with the animals. And then sin came and did away to all of that. And now corruption came into the world. And because of sin, what did God do? There was separation. And God had to kill an animal to take their loincloths to cover them because they knew at that point they were naked and they were ashamed. Here's an interesting fact. I don't know if you realize this. In Genesis, it talks about the Lord, and he's handing out the judgment. He said, instead of fruit coming up from the ground easy, thorns and thistles are going to make it hard. The thorn was a sign of the curse, right? It shows the sign of the curse that these thorns now that prevent the beauty of God, Right? Fast forward a few thousand years. The Son of God, before Pilate, is condemned. He's given over to the Roman soldiers. And the Roman soldiers, not knowing that what they were doing actually had biblical significance, the Roman soldiers weave for him a crown. What was that crown made of? Thorns. And they pressed it on his head. And they said, Hail, King of the Jews! And in that moment, Christ became the King of the curse. He took upon himself the punishment for all who had sinned, but had put their faith in Christ. He became the penalty. He became the penalty. He bore our judgment by his stripes, by his lashes, by his punches, and by his bruising. We, the redeemed, are healed. The king of the curse became, Christ became a curse for us, as it's written in the New Testament. Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. So we believe that Jesus is coming again. 
And he is going to create that new heaven and new earth. And all who put their faith in Christ will dwell with him in eternity forever and ever and ever. Look at article number nine. We believe that believers should maintain a godly testimony. Say that again. We believe that believers should maintain a godly testimony. I would change one of those words there. I would say we believe that believers maintain a godly testimony. Believers are to live so that their lives do not bring reproach upon Christ their Savior. Instead, believers are to live in a way that glorifies God. How is that possible? Because if you're truly saved, God has given you the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin and sanctify you, set you apart unto Him. When someone is saved, we are justified. It's God's judicial declaration that He has declared us right. We are then sanctified. We are set apart unto Christ. We are set apart unto God. And the process of glorification begins, which will ultimately conclude upon the resurrection of dead when we will be given our glorified estates. Right? God commands His people to be separated from all religious apostasy, all worldly and sinful pleasures, practices, and associations, and to refrain from all immodest, immoderate appearances. We stand against the worldly philosophies that seek to destroy and undermine the truth of biblical Christianity. We believe that those who follow Christ aspire to live life with godliness and holiness. Let me tell you something. We've talked so much about revival in January. Our series is all going to deal, deal about preparing ourselves for the conference. And how are we going to prepare ourselves for the conference? By holiness. Amen. By rendering ourselves holy. And asking God to change us. And we believe that those who follow Christ are regenerated by the Holy Spirit's work and were born again of incorruptible seed and become new creations in Christ. Genuine believers in Christ strive to honor God and their Lord Jesus Christ. Lastly, article number 10. This is a long one, so stay with me in cadence now. We believe with the Reformers that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, in Scripture has all authority alone, and God receives the glory alone in all things. I cannot emphasize that enough. I cannot emphasize that enough. Salvation is not by what I do. Salvation is by God's grace alone. 
as the Spirit of God draws you, as He opens your eyes to the truth, as He brings you to that place of repentance. And then it is by through faith alone, as God imparts faith to you to believe. You see yourself before a holy and righteous God, and you see yourself as a lonely sinner, and you cry out and you say, God, save me. And God says, the only way I'm going to save you is through the finished blood of Jesus Christ. And you go, yes, yes, yes. I put my faith, I put my confidence in Christ and Christ alone. There's nothing I can do, Father, lest you save me, lest I die. And the Lord echoes back. It is through Christ alone. He is the only one. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No man comes to the Father except by Him. And then we do, Lord, how shall I live? What church should I join? And the Lord said, Scripture alone. Scripture alone has all the authority. I have given you my Holy Spirit. I will lead you in the Word of God. It has the authority. It tells you what is right. It tells you what is wrong. It tells you how to worship. It tells you how to pray. The Scripture alone is the complete authority. And if anybody dares to usurp the Scripture, let him be as the Apostle Paul said. Let him be an anathema. Let him be damned. And Lord, what is the purpose of my life? I don't understand. What am I supposed to do? What's my purpose? And the Spirit would say that God would be glorified in you and through you. That through your life, through your testimony, people will see Christ and they will exalt God. And that's why there is no Pope. And that's why there is no other authority. Hey, I'm the head of the Protestant historic biblical church. No, you're not. Jesus Christ is. And let me share something. He is alive. You have to believe this. I don't mean this in some kind of strange, bugged out way. I'm talking about that Christ is physically alive today. Christ upholds all things. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Every revolution of the earth, this entire solar system, all of the events of history, all the things that we see being played out before us, the sovereign God, Jesus Christ, is in complete and total control. And when we lose hope, and when we look at how our country's going, we look at how the world's going, and go, oh my goodness, there's a war in the Ukraine. Oh my goodness, there's a war in Israel. There's a war in Gaza. Christ has never vacated the throne. And all things will work according to the counsel of his will. And as Nebuchadnezzar says, there's no one who could say to him, what hast thou done? Or who could stop his hand from doing what he wants to do? No one. This is the Christ of Christmas. This is the Christ of Christmas. This is the Christ that we declare. We declare him. I want to end with this. Philippians chapter 2 beginning with verse 5. Talk about making a declaration. 
Here's the ultimate declaration. Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those that are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Praise God. You want a Christmas message? There it is. That every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now I have one final thing to ask you. Is that not worth declaring? Is that not worth a little bit of ridicule? Somebody goes, oh, I wish you'd shut up with that stuff. Is not Christ worth it? Is not Christ worth it? Listen, that is the litmus test of the believer. Is not Christ worth it? As we come to worship our Lord on His incarnation, on His first advent, these ten declarations are the Christ that we worship. May He be treasured in your heart.